This is a session on community health evangelism, and I'm saying this for the sake of the recording so that they get it down there. Uh, and, and I am Terry Dalrymple, and so if you're in the wrong room, uh, this is your opportunity to exit. I do have guards outside the door, though, and they're not going to let you go, so you're, you're trapped here for a little while. Um, I want to talk a little bit, not for very long, and hopefully this is not new to you. If you're here today, it's probably because you already know these stats. Um, they are, they are, they've already been brought to your awareness. But um, there are 18,000 children who die every day before the age of five, most of them from preventable causes. Um, I'm a Diamondbacks fan, and I don't offend anybody when I say that now, this year, because we were the last in the league. I mean, we had the worst record in the whole league, uh, but I still wore my Diamondbacks shirt, and I watched them for as long as I could. But um, when, on, an average, on an average day at their game, uh, when attendance is not low because they're not winning, um, they might have 23, 26,000 people in the stadium. And I remember sitting in the stadium and looking around at that crowd and thinking, that many children dying every day from preventable causes. 780 million people do not have access to safe, clean drinking water. I have trouble getting my mind around that. Do you? How do people survive without safe, clean drinking water? But um, that's a reality. 2.5 billion people do not have access to improved sanitation facilities. Um, and, you know, if you listen to uh, Joshua Project and, and others, the the lost are the least, and the least are the lost. The poor um, are the hidden. And in these villages where these children are dying prematurely, uh, where they don't have access to clean water and good sanitation, um, there are many people, many, many people who do not know Christ. And so it seems to me that there is a real call to the church here um, I was in Papua New Guinea, 2001, and they had just initiated a Healthy Islands uh, initiative. It was a 10-year community health program supported by AusAid and the World Health Organization. I went to the National Health Department. I was talking with the director who was over the uh, program, and he looked at me and he said, there's only one institution in this country with the capacity to do what needs to be done in the area of community health, and that's the church. He said, I, I need someone to mobilize the church. And certainly throughout sub-Saharan Africa, uh, much of Latin America, places in Asia, the Pacific, the church is there uh, in those communities where these simple things need to be done that could save so many lives. And so if you get right down to it, um, 
when so many are dying from preventable diseases, how can the church turn away? If we can do something, it seems to me that that we must answer that cry. So I think I, I see I see this as an opportunity for the church. The church is part of every community. Church members have been commanded by their Lord to love their neighbors. The unnecessary deaths of children under the age of five from preventable causes is something the church can't ignore. And the church is not ignoring these things. And there are many things that are being done. Uh, One of them is what you've come to learn about today, this thing called CHE, Community Health Evangelism. CHE was uh, born in Uganda. Somebody here working in Uganda, right, in the early 80s. Um, It was a program put together by a man named Stan Rowland, who is here. Uh, If you want to see him, you can come by the Neighborhood Transformation booth, which is right next to the CHE booth down there, and talk to him about how it started. It started as a ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ, um, and the first programs were done, like I said, in Uganda. Stan moved to Medical Ambassadors, and we began to... um, to implement this in other places around the globe. And so today, um, I don't know that that this is perfectly accurate. We have in our network membership representatives from more than 625 organizations in 126 countries. Um, And so this is a tool that has been uh, tested and proven and is being used broadly in a lot of places. And if God is calling you to respond to the cry that we just talked about, maybe this is something that would be useful for you. What is community health evangelism? Um, It is the seamless combination of evangelism and discipleship, disease prevention, and community-based development. Uh, We'll talk later... uh, about the relationship between community health and community-based development. I don't think you can separate those things. I think they belong together. Um, But let me just give you kind of a picture of what a mature CHE program looks like, and then we can carry it forward from there. When a a CHE program is mature, there will be what we call CHEs, community health evangelists. Uh, they're, They're health workers. Um, who uh, visit their neighbors and they teach. Uh, They may teach about the importance of clean water, help the family sanitize their drinking water, and then open the scriptures and talk about the living water. And when people come to Christ uh, through the ministry of these health workers in their homes, uh, they begin to disciple them in small groups. And then those small groups are brought together and churches are planted. And what's different about this from community development strategies is the idea of the health worker. The idea of an individual that's going into homes and working with families um, and thinking about interventions that they can execute using local resources. These health workers in a CHE program report to a committee, 
could be a health committee or a development committee or however you want to name it. But these, this committee is made up of people from the community, leaders from the community who have been elected by the community to lead the community health initiative in their, uh, in their village. And those people are trained in project cycle management. So they learn um, to identify needs and resources, uh, put together a plan, mobilize people, execute the plan, evaluate and repeat that cycle, all using <coughs> local resources. So you've got this twin action going now. The committee is working on community projects like water, latrines, uh, sometimes it's things like roads, schools, electrification, those kinds of things. And you have the health workers in the homes working with families, teaching them nutrition, um, sanitation, uh, about clean water. Uh, and as the program develops, they may be learning microenterprise development. Uh, they may be learning uh, simple agricultural techniques uh, to have more productive kitchen gardens and those kinds of things. So that's what a Maturche program looks like. How does that structure um, come into existence? With the committee that's supervising these Che's, the Che's that are going into the home, the committee initiating projects with the community, and, um, and, and all of that activity. How does that structure come into place? Well, there are people who come uh, usually from the outside, they are trained through our training of trainers process, um, and they, they spend time in the community doing awareness, uh, helping the people uh, see their opportunities, understand why they have some of the problems that they have, um, and see the assets and the resources that are available to them, and imagine a plan. And when the community is ready to move on their own, then the trainers will in invite the community to elect their committee members. The trainers then train the committee. They train the committee in project cycle management. The committee also learns to manage the health workers. The health workers that go into the homes report to them. So then the committee chooses community health evangelists from the the community, and those evangelists are assigned homes, anywhere from five to ten homes. And the trainers then that catalyzed the process, trained the committee, now begin to disciple and train the, the chase. And this is a process that happens over 30 to 50 weeks uh, where the trainer trains the Che, the Che learns one lesson one spiritual lesson, one physical lesson, applies it in her own life, and then goes and teaches it to her neighbors and comes back and reports to the committee what they have done uh, as a result of their visits. So once all of that is in place and functioning, the training team can pull out and give its efforts in another community. That's the, the classic model of CHE. Um, community health is a platform for total transformation. The reason I say that, if you just take the World Health Organization's definition 
of of health. It's social, mental, and physical, and we would add spiritual well-being. Um, health is defined way beyond just the absence of disease. Uh, it is good social relationships. Um, another way of thinking about it is it's living in harmony with God, with self, with others, and with the environment. And so when we adopt this kind of a holistic um, um, process and we move in to work with families, we begin to see them um, following Christ and their lives being transformed, uh, both physically and spiritually and socially and mentally and many other ways. Some important observations about community health. I'm doing this because you're a medical crowd, all right? Um, But it's focused on empowering people to manage their own health. The most important health worker in any place is who? The mother. (laughs) Um, When the mother knows how to raise healthy children, how to prevent disease, how to put nutritious food on the table, um, then uh, when, when the mother is empowered, the family is healthier. But uh, the point is that community health is not about working on the back end. Um, it's working to prevent disease by empowering people to manage their own health. The emphasis is on prevention rather than cure. Outcomes are measured by behavior change. And this is one of the things the church is not very good at. Uh, We tend to want to measure outputs. I taught so many courses. I had so many people in my uh, lecture hall. Um, And what we really want to see in community health is changed behaviors. Uh, People using latrines, people eating a balanced diet, people getting the exercise that they need, uh, you know, so on and so forth. And so we are measuring our success not by how many teachings we've done, but by the behaviors of the community. All right? And beyond that, you want to measure impact. Are the behaviors that we're uh, leading them to change when they change those behaviors, is it actually leading to a reduction of disease? And that's another question, all right? Um, It requires uprooting lies and replacing them with truth. I don't know if you spent time in villages, but um, around the world, I think in villages almost universally, uh, though the major religion may be Christian or Muslim or Hindu, um, those major religions are often just a veneer over animism. And what they actually believe is that ancestral spirits or gods and goddesses or spirits of some kind control um, my harvest and my health and my prosperity and this kind of thing. And so, you know, I've been in places where I've taught about malaria and that it's transmitted by mosquitoes. And I come back and I ask them, how is malaria transmitted? It's by mosquitoes. Um, They can pair it back to me, what I've said. 
but their belief does not change. And they still believe that, uh, you know, it's the work of spirits or things like that. And so part of what we're doing in community health is what we're doing in Christian discipleship is uprooting the lies that destroy, that Satan has planted in our hearts and in our cultures and replacing them with truth, with his truth. Um, Community health cannot be untangled from the complexities that contribute to poor health and therefore must be a broader part uh, or must be part of a broader community development initiative. Uh, That's a mouthful. What do I mean by that? Um, If we have malnourished children, what is the solution to that problem? Sometimes in traditional community health programs, we say, well, it's feeding, right? So we go and feed the children. But what do we feed them with? And where does that food come from? Right? And it comes from agriculture. So ultimately, the solution to hunger in a village may be agriculture or enterprise and trade and other things. Um, I was in uh, Thailand working with an organization uh, that was functioning in China, and they had done a study in China in the area where they were planning to work, and they discovered that 60% of the income of the abject poor was being used for medicines, uh, largely for diseases that were preventable. And so this organization was thinking about doing microenterprise development. But they said if we go in and we do microenterprise development, we give them a loan for a small business, their child gets sick, they're going to spend the money on their child, they're not going to have anything to pay us back, and they're not going to have a business, and they're in a worse place than where we started. So that if we're really going to improve the quality of their life, we have to recognize the complexities of the causes, and we need a broad uh, community-based development program. And in my opinion, community health is just part of a a broad community-based development program. So what does this call for? It calls for generalists who work across the disciplines rather than specialists who work within them. Um, What am I saying there? Uh, we tend to silo things. And we think, okay, if I can take my water project over there and I can do this work for them and come back, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to solve their problem and their life is going to be better. Um, and because we're project-oriented and siloed and we're, we're taught to think in, uh, in, in silos in the way we're educated, we don't have people in the village working across the disciplines an evangelist who's thinking about agriculture or a nurse who's willing to teach microenterprise development. But that's the kind of people that we need to put in the community if we're going to succeed in, um, in real and lasting sustainable change. The aim of a community health program is not uh, projects in a few scattered villages, 
but movements that sweep the countryside. And these movements will be sustained by volunteer action, which means that if you're going to be successful in what you're doing, you have to know how to mobilize volunteers in the village in order to succeed. And that's all uh, part of what we train you to do uh, with CHE training. So I want to talk about five keys to successful community health and development initiatives. And then I do want to leave some room for questions. The first key is worldview. The second we're going to call integration. The third is local ownership. The fourth is people before projects. And the fifth is multiplication. We'll explain each of those. First is worldview. Recovery of our identity and our vocation. This is a theological issue. Who am I and why am I here? I am a person made in the image of God. And I am a steward of resources. What we find in the village is people who see themselves not as stewards of resources, who have been given dominion because they're made in the image of God, but people who see themselves as victims of circumstance. And so part of what we're trying to do is to help them see themselves for who they are, as people made in the image of God, uh, stewards of resources and not victims of circumstance. Um, And this is related to the whole issue of of dignity. We We need to be people who can see beyond their need. My daughter is in a wheelchair. When she was 17, she was uh, in a classroom, and a guy came into the classroom with a gun in a backpack. The gun was loaded. The safety was off. Uh, He set the backpack on the floor, and the gun discharged, and the bullet lodged in my daughter's spine at T9 and 10. She's paralyzed from the waist down. And when the accident happened... Uh, She was very popular in school, a leader in her youth group. She played volleyball. She played basketball. She did drama. She sang. Um, And hundreds of people came to the hospital. Security at the hospital that day went crazy, trying to control the number of young people uh, flooding into the place. Um, They knew her in Modesto as Michelle. A few years later, Michelle went away to college at San San Diego. I won't name the college. But at the end of the year, she called me and she said, "Uh, Dad, I need to go back to Modesto. And I said, why? And she said, because people here can't see beyond my wheelchair. There's a big lesson in that. Because when we move into a community and we focus on the need, but we don't see the assets and the resources and the capacity that's available to them, we're taking ownership of the project ourselves, and ultimately it's not going to lead to any kind of sustainable development. In order to get to sustainable development, you've got to see the person in the wheelchair. You've got to understand their capacities and see them not as a problem, 
but as a person made in the image of God who's a steward of resources and not a victim of circumstance. So we need a new perspective. We need to see the people we serve as made in the image of God. We need to focus on their assets and resources, not their needs. Um, We need asset-based approaches to development. I wish I could go on with that topic, but I can't. Um, But uh, unless we understand that, and unless we change our perspective, our projects are never going... Projects and services delivered never transform a life. They may meet a, a, a need for a moment in time or for a sustained amount of time. But if we want people to to find their way out of poverty, it's going to come at their own initiative. There has to be a work that is done in them and works out from them. And we'll talk about that more. The second principle is integration. We talked about generalists that we need in the community. Complex uh, problems require integrated solutions. And integrated solutions require multidisciplined approaches. It's not enough just to focus on the microenterprise development and ignore the health. If we don't do both simultaneously, the microenterprise is likely to fail. Problems are complex, and we've got to deal with those complexities with our strategy. And that's part of what we teach with Che. Integration begins with me. Following Jesus requires complete obedience to everything Jesus commanded. I put this up here because there's a theological issue that's fading away now, thank God. (laughs) But for my generation, when I arrived on the mission field, my colleague said to me, if you feed somebody today, they're going to be hungry again tomorrow. If you save their soul today, they're safe forever. And the message to me was, you're not here to care for the physical needs of people. You're here to preach. You're here to get the, the soul saved and get them into heaven. And it's hard to argue with the fact that, well, that's got to be the most important thing, right? What does it matter if they eat today and then go to hell tomorrow? You hear them say that. The problem is in the logic. The logic says, okay, Jesus has commanded these things. I can list them in order of importance and then choose to do the most important things and neglect the rest. But that's not the kind of discipleship that God has called us to. He has called us to to complete obedience to everything that Jesus commanded. And the same Jesus who commanded us to preach the gospel said, if you've done it to the least of them, you have done it to me. He couldn't have made it any more personal. He couldn't have said it in any stronger terms than that. He has, we need to to be faithful to both the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. And that means that in my ministry, wherever I am, I'm not choosing one or the other. I'm not going to do social action or evangelism, which has been a divide in the church between the liberals and the evangelicals, right? I I am going to remain in the radical middle. I'm going to remain obedient to everything that Jesus has commanded 
I'm going to do both. And we need to do some serious thinking about how we achieve that. But that's why if I took evangelism out of the name community health evangelism, I think community health education or something like that would be much more popular and embraced by the secular world and I could get a lot more people on board with me. But I refuse to do that. Because if there is a danger in the last generation that we neglected social action and isolated um, making our religion some private devotion to the Lord that had no social implications, the danger for the millennials, the danger for the next generation is they're going to embrace social action and they're going to neglect evangelism. And you're nodding your heads. It will happen. And, And so as a disciple of Christ... I need to, in my own personal life, integrate those things and purpose to be obedient to everything Jesus commanded. And our strategies need to be thought through that that way. And that's what Che is. Um, We're talking about integration. When we got started in Papua New Guinea, I went into the eastern highlands to a district called Lufa, And the district health officer there told me that the government had been trying for 30 years to get people to use latrines without success. I came back a year later, and this is what we saw. We went to village after village, and we saw latrines and decorated pathways leading to latrines and and locks on the doors, and they were were using the latrines. Um, And the district health officer was, was jumping up and down. Um, with joy, and he said this, whether it's true or not, I'll leave that to you, but he said we have 100% compliance. (laughs) Well, what was the problem? The reason that the government could not get the people to use latrines was because the people believed that evil spirits inhabited human waste and hid in dark corners. So if you build a latrine, you're building a spirit house that nobody wants to go into. And until they understood that Jesus, who died on the cross to take away our sins, also uh, 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 freed us from the power of evil spirits, they're not going to go in there. So in my Bible college and seminary, I'm a seminary graduate. I have a Master of Divinity. So you wonder, what are you doing in the area of community health? Well, yeah, I am a generalist, I guess. (laughs) Okay, but... Um, but I, um, I was taught in seminary that the indicators of spiritual growth are you're reading your Bible, you're praying, you're going to church, giving an offering in the offering plate. You count the money, that's, that's an indicator. But nobody in all of my Bible college or seminary ever said to me that a latrine would be an indicator of spiritual growth. <laughs> you know why that is? Because our ministries are not integrated. We don't see the relationship between the physical and the spiritual. We have an excluded middle here in the West. Uh, if, you've, if you've read um, mission anthropology, you know what I'm talking about. If not, ask somebody later. Um, but that same trip, I went um, into another district of Hanganofi, and this is what I saw. This is a footpath that was built between two 
clans that previously had been warring. When our teams entered this, actually it was a district, um, there was one road into the valley where they all lived, and it was barricaded to keep the uh, military, the, the government military, from coming in and stopping their tribal war. For 16 years, no child had been educated in this valley because of the warfare that was going on. And so you ask the question, well, what does community health have to do with uh, tribal war? Well, if you're afraid that somebody's going to stab you in the back uh, or throw a spear into your back, you're not really worried about a latrine or about clean water. And so if you're going to do community health in that community, where do you start? You start with peacemaking, right? And so I came back a year later and and saw this footpath, and I realized this was a spiritual indicator of growth. Nobody in all of my Bible college or seminary ever taught me that a footpath between two tribes that had previously been warring would be an indicator of spiritual growth. But not only did they build this footpath, you can see they decorated it. They went down to the bottom, to the river, and they carried up rocks, and they built these retaining walls. And then at the end of the day, they took me out into an open field, and this guy uh, next to me wearing the grass uh, skirt um, made a speech to uh, people from different tribes that were gathered in an open field. And he held up that bow and arrows in a, that he has in his hand, and he said, our forefathers taught us to use these weapons. And he took an arrow and he said, this is the kind we use to kill pigs. He put it back. He took another one out. He said, this is the kind we use to kill each other. He put it back and he handed the whole thing to me. He said, I want to give this to you today because you've come here and taught us a different way of life. You've taught us to live at peace with one another. And I asked about this um, for 10 years now. There's been peace in the valley. Um, And so are you getting the picture? that you can't separate the physical from the spiritual, that if we're truly going to minister um, uh, the gospel, it has to be holistic. It's about whole life discipleship, and it touches not only um, the physical aspects of our life and our health and our work and our family, everything uh, needs to be brought under the lordship of Christ. And our ministries need to reflect that. So integration a good community health program um, is, is not going to be medical interventions. It's going to be uh, an integrated program that includes the social, mental, physical, and spiritual. Local ownership, another key. Um, local ownership is people owning their own problems and creating their own solutions. How do you know if you have local ownership? They did the needs assessment. They did the planning. They did the resource acquisition. They did the management. They did the implementation. They did the multiplication and diffusion. And they did the evaluation. There's in development, and we don't get this on the community health side, but in international development, there is... um, there is an old professionalism and a new professionalism. The old professionalism was 
If you want to develop a community, you send some people from the academy. They'll do a needs assessment. They'll come back to the academy. They'll raise funds, and they'll deliver a project. Um, And what we know from 60 years of trying to do development that way is that it doesn't work. It fails. Delivering a project does not lead to sustainable (coughs) development. Why? Because of the question of ownership. If I am doing the thinking, I am growing. And uh, so if, if I go and do the needs assessment, I go and gather the resources, I go back and do the work. I've really maybe changed their environment, but I haven't changed them. And that ultimately is not going to succeed in what we want to achieve. So a principle is that of local ownership requires that they be active participants rather than passive recipients in the development process. It's demonstrated, ownership is demonstrated through volunteerism, and I'm going to try not to get distracted with stories about that, Um, and it's strengthened through training and capacity building. I don't have time to tell this story. I won't have time for questions, so we'll skip this story. And we'll go to people before projects. We are a project-oriented society. Uh, One thing I've read recently in anthropology that rang true to me is that we think in terms of cause and effect. When we see a problem, we ask why, and then we start working on a solution. The majority world doesn't think that way. They don't think in terms of cause and effect. They think in terms of relationship. And their question is, um, you know, if I do this, how are they going to feel about that? And how am I going to affect the rest of the community um, when, when I take this action? So what that makes us is fixers, right? We go around the world, and we're going to fix it. And so what we're doing at home is creating these projects, and sending our teams to do these projects. And projects may have value, but the real transformation that needs to take place is in the heart and mind of the people. And real sustainable development is not the completion of a project, it's the development of people, giving them the capacity to, do, uh, to, to take charge of their own development process. Are you following me? So, people-centered outcomes. What is it that we are looking for? This goes to matrices for evaluation. If you're wondering how do we in Che evaluate our work, what are we, what are we looking for? Um, with project-based things, then I want to know how many wells were put in. Um, and maybe, maybe I want to know how many people are actually going and getting water from that well after I'm gone. But from my experience around the world, that's not even the measure. The measure is how many wells did we put in? Because I find these wells broken and not being used everywhere I go. Right? And people of Uganda, (laughs) Tanzania, right? So so what we we want are not project-oriented outcomes, but people-centered outcomes. We want to see changes in people. What kind of changes do we want to see? 
We want to see shared vision. We want a community that sees a better future and has hope that it can be achieved. We want to see leadership. We want to see godly Christian leaders positioned and equipped to lead the community toward the accomplishment of its vision. We want to see ownership. We've talked about that already. People taking responsibility for their own health and well-being. We want to see cooperation. People who are united and working together for the common good. Um, We have even, in, in this country, in this culture, we have lost sight of the common good. And our core value has become self actualization. And part of the reason for poverty in our urban centers, you find people who are poor, many times they're marginalized and their relationships are broken. And it's the disintegration of the family and it's broken relationships that are imposing on these situations. Cooperation is the opposite of that. It's a sharing of strengths and of abilities and of vision and of capacity. And we want to see that. We want to see cooperation. We want to see volunteers, significant numbers of people taking initiative and acting sacrificially to meet the legitimate needs of others. I got a lot of kickback from nationals around the world at the... um, uh, at the Oxford Center for Mission Studies, where I pursued a, a degree for a while. Um, because people from the developing world said to me, how can you ask my people to volunteer when they can't make enough money to eat? You're, ask, you're asking them to give to your program and starve in the process. And my answer to that is no. We are asking them to take responsibility for their own health and well-being and to initiate programs on their own that meet the real needs in their life. The question is one of ownership. And if there is ownership, there will be volunteering. Uh, Volunteerism is an important principle in the Great Commission. We are a volunteer movement uh, sent by Jesus. He never offered to pay any of us anything. In fact, he told us we'd probably suffer. Um, Dignity. People have recovered their identity as made in the image of God and their vocation as stewards of creation. Instead of being controlled or victimized by their environment, they are stewards of it. That's what we want to see. People-centered outcomes, learning skill and resources. People are equipped to identify needs and resources, put together a plan, mobilize volunteers, accomplish their vision. They're continually reflecting on what's happening um, and learning how to do it more effectively. People who are engaged in an action reflection process, um, seeing the problem, taking action against it, evaluating how they did, and coming back at it again. That's what we want to see. And then Christian community and witness. We want to see believers who are meeting together for fellowship and prayer and Bible study and worship and are sharing Christ with their neighbors in word and deed. Those are the measurements of a successful community health program that you probably won't read 
about in your community health books. Um, But it's a different way of uh, working and a different way of thinking. It's about empowerment rather than projects and delivering services. So what happens when we see these things? And this is what happens in CHE programs. When people ask me, what, you know, what's the goal of a CHE program? And I try to explain to them, well, it's people empowered to meet their own needs. No, um, you know, are you, how many wells are you going to have? They want to get to that, right? Um, uh, but those are really um, results of people-centered development. When people develop, they take care of their own problems. And what we begin to see in programs all around the world is that churches are established, health improves, infant mortality decreases, agriculture becomes more productive, jobs are created, water systems, roads, schools, and clinics are built, peace, justice, compassion, and righteousness are witnessed in the community, and God is glorified. The last principle is multiplication. We want to make movements rather than manage projects. I'm going to stop right there and open up for questions. Uh, what kind of questions do you have? Could you just put a little more detail on that movements uh, rather than the last thing? Oh, the movements? Yeah. Um, what, what we want to do is um, initiate or catalyze a process that uh, is organic and that grows spontaneously. Um, that's not dependent on outside resource to make the next move. Um, And so that means using appropriate technology, transferable concepts, um, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Any other questions? Yeah. What, how, how do we measure them? Yeah, uh, it's qualitative whether rather than quantitative. Yeah, it's a qualitative measurement. Any other questions? Yeah. Have you mentioned the training a few times? Can yeah. Can you go into a little more detail on what that involves? Yeah, I almost skipped over that. Um, If you're interested in getting started, uh, there are basically four things that the CHE network offers that may be of help to you. Uh, One is training. We do training as training of trainers. So we're not just training you to execute a program, but we're also training you to multiply yourself. Um, So that once you've been through the training um, yourself, then we'd encourage you to do a training with somebody else who's more experienced and eventually to be able to train others on your own. And that's, um, but the, the training of trainers is done in three phases. Uh, the first is kind of lays out the principles and the framework um, and then equips the trainer for entering the community. Um, so raising awareness, community mobilization, those kinds of things are learned in TOT1. Um, the way the structure is supposed to work is we train TOT1, the trainers go and begin their programs. 
when they get close to the place where the community is ready to come together and they're about to choose a committee, then we bring them back for phase two of training. And phase two of training is about training the committee in project cycle management and training and training the chase. It's equipping the trainers to train the health workers that are going into the homes. And then the third phase of training is evaluation and leadership and multiplication, expanding your work um, beyond the boundaries of, a, of the community in which you're now serving. So um, each one of those training, the TOT1, TOT2, and TOT3 are 36 hours. Um, generally, we do it a week at a time. Uh, that training is offered maybe by 10 different organizations across the country at different times and different places. If you go to our website and click on the training tab, you'll see a list of training TOTs that are offered, and you're welcome to uh, click through and sign up and take the training. The second thing that we offer is curricula. We have um, a disc. We just just released today the 2015 version, and uh, this is our curriculum developer here. Her name is Jody, Dr. Jody Collins. Um, who's doing Children's Day? You are in Uganda. Jody, you need you need to talk here with. Is it Rhonda? Yes. Okay, because Rhonda's using your stuff, but I don't think you know her, <laughs> right? Um, but on this disc, there's about 10,000 documents. We're estimating perhaps 6,000 lesson plans, all of them done in participatory format for training in the village. And so it covers everything from agriculture and disease prevention to women's issues and domestic violence and spiritual training, evangelism and discipleship, and the whole thing is there for you. Uh, when you go through the training, you're given the, the DVD. All the lesson plans are given to you in Word so that you can take them and adapt them. They're not copyrighted. Our, this is not proprietary. This belongs to the kingdom. And so we ask you to take it and use it. And um, then the third thing that we offer is consultation and uh, network partners. Our network is big now, so the chances are that wherever you want to get started, there's somebody nearby who's already doing it. And so the idea of the network is wherever you want to go, we can help you get there. And we can connect you with people who can help you get started. So does that answer your question? Okay. Yes. Yeah, the guy who did the first CHE program in Uganda, Stan Rowland, was challenged perpetually over 30 years that the principles he was using needed to be applied to urban America. About seven years ago, he, um, well, I guess it was longer than that now, he, he stepped down as the international director at Medical Ambassadors and handed the whole mess to me, and he went to pioneer in the urban in, in urban America using uh, these same principles. What has come from that is a program called Neighborhood Transformation. Um, it is CHE principles applied to the urban context here in North America, and he has a booth out there so you can go see him and should. Yeah. All right.
What is his name? Stan Roland. Stan Roland. What is the organization? Neighborhood Transformation. Yeah, if you find our booth, the Che booth, his is right next door. 
Um, and it got kind of risque, and I've never done it since. <laughs> yes. But there are on 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 the the disc that we give you. Uh, you know, it covers the gamut: microenterprise, agriculture, um, domestic violence, um, trafficking. Um, you know, women's issues, children's health, you name it, yeah. Um, follow on to that question, we found that when we do CHE overseas, many times we're looking for someone who's kind of an agricultural specialist. Then we add to the training team maybe someone who's graduated from nursing school. Then we, you know, add someone who's a real schmoozer and has the social skills. And so we kind of do build an integrated team that way. Yeah, and, and the integrated team helps. Um, uh, helps to bring wholeness, but the complete wholeness comes in the integration in the person. So even if I have a nurse on my team, she's going to provide solutions at times that the others won't be able to provide, but the others are going to teach her solutions. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yes? Yeah, there's there's a whole um, series of different things that we do. It would take too long. Um, in the in the international development world, if you want to look up participatory learning and action, participatory rural appraisals, um, you'll find a lot of material and get an idea of some of the kinds of exercises that we do uh, in in mobilizing communities. But kind of the the root of it is they have to understand the cause, why is this happening, and they have to see uh, resources that they can use to put together a plan. And so what you're doing in community organization is helping them assess causes and identify solutions using local resources and giving them the capacity to make and execute their own plans. That was vague, right? And I think I have to be done. I don't know what time I was supposed to be done. Uh, I think 5 o'clock. Maybe I went over. Did I? No. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you. God bless. <laughs>